Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you're listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. Today we've got with us Mike Snyder. He's the head of the William Morris Entertainment Christian Booking Division, had his own company called Third Coast for a while, and has been a 20-year veteran of the music business. I learned a ton in this conversation, and I think there's a lot that you're going to get out of it as well, especially if you're an artist. He's dropping lots of gold on what does it take to be a successful touring artist, to build your brand, to get to a point where you're selling out theaters. He talks about how their company has been a big part of building artists like Lecrae, Switchfoot, and the list just goes on and on. So Mike Snyder was generous enough to donate his time. We've been hanging out live at GMA Immerse. That's where we're doing this interview at. So if you hear a little background noise, totally disregard it. Before we jump into the interview, I wanted to make you aware of an event we are doing this August. It's August 26th through the 28th. It's going to be in Franklin, Tennessee, and it's for producers, songwriters, and artists looking to get better at their craft of music production and writing. It's going to be three days of hands-on training in things like vocals, in lyrics, in melodies, in creating great productions, great mixes. And it's going to be very intense. It's going to be very one-on-one, and it's going to be very small, limit to 30 spots only. So make sure you head over to our website for that. It's fullcirclegoeslive.com. That's fullcirclegoeslive.com. Again, we're limiting it to 30 spots, so it can be very focused on every one of you that shows up. And we hope we get to meet you there. So let's jump into the interview with Mike Snyder. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. We're here at an event called GMA Immerse, live here in Nashville, Tennessee. In your studio. In the studio, which (laughs) is also known if you're watching us on YouTube, you can tell we have a pretty awesome film studio, a little back hallway kind of setup, but it's awesome. We're here to have a conversation kind of about Mike Snyder's story. Um, what drives him, how he got in the music industry. And I think we're going to learn a lot because we haven't had a booking agent on the show yet. Right on. I'm ready. So you are speaking from a completely new angle, but one that I feel like is massively important because everybody knows no secret that touring really is where an artist lives and dies nowadays. I agree. And, you know, a lot of them make their money, they're living off of that. You know, a lot, a lot of people are recouping off of record sales. And you know, we're able to do things that we don't have to just sit around and wait on a radio and records. And we can actually, people have even said we've become a lot of the A&R departments of different labels where we're growing things on the road, getting them ready, prepping them for their deal and kind of help take them that next level. Sure. So... Is this your 20th year in the music industry now? I think this is year 20. Uh, 96 was what my you, first What are you going to do for your anniversary? <laughs> I don't know. I have to figure out what year. It's this fall, I guess, 20 years. That's a really good... I think I deserve to go away to some island, I probably. I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. Uh, so talk about what was your first foray into the music business? How did you get into it? First foray uh, into the music business was... My little brother, named Todd Snyder, who's a singer-songwriter, folk singer-storyteller, signed a record deal at Margaritaville MCA. 
and had a couple of managers that he let go. And I eventually, I was, I did, I wasn't in music business. I was actually a contractor, and I took over managing and tour managing for him. And that's how I ended up in Nashville. Same time, I signed some other artists. I wasn't in Christian music at the time. And saw kind of the world with him. He did really well. He's about my age, a little younger than I am, but had a long 20-year career, and he's still out doing it. Uh, he has a new band called Hardworking Americans, which is kind of this hippie jam thing, and sold out three nights in Atlanta this weekend at the City Winery. I got tickets for David Crowder to go. He's a big fan. So I started that way, and I, um, m- when I moved to Nashville, I really didn't know there was such a thing as Christian music, honestly. And just started researching it and going, what is this thing? You know, I love Jesus, but I didn't know there was actually music dedicated to it. And I was in the music business. I know that sounds funny, but I didn't grow up in the church. I was saved at a later date in my life, my early 20s. So I ended up signing an artist. She, you, you were managing this artist. I managed it. I ended up, I had three or four like triple A Americana type acts and nothing country, but just did that. And I signed a Christian artist. And I, when I signed the Christian artist, I, I met who is now my wife, who was her agent. And we ended up buying that booking agency, which was Vanguard Entertainment. Do you know who Chuck Tilly is? I do know. So Chuck owned the company. My wife, Lisa, worked for him. We bought the company and changed the name to a company called Third Coast Artists, which we owned for 10 years. Did your wife still in booking? Is that something you all do together? Or? So my wife's been in booking longer than I have, and she's actually has been in Christian music for a long time, worked for a guy named Charles Doris, who ran the division I run now at WME, and she was running this company. But then we grew it. Ten years later, we sold the company to a uh, Monterey-based company, Paradigm. She then retired sent me to work. I served out my contract at Paradigm, and I love those guys to this day. And then when my contract was up, William Morris Endeavor kind of courted me away. Sure. That's awesome. So you kind of started, and you came into the industry from a touring perspective and then thought, hey, I think I could book these things, and I think I could do this myself. Yeah, it takes a strange person to enjoy being told no all the time and booking. (laughs) Um, But when you're passionate about, you know, there's different phases of this. You know, management's real hands-on. You can only handle a few clients because, you know, some people might even say it's a little like babysitting. But in the booking, I enjoyed it because you could kind of do a task, get paid a little bit, and kind of move on. But you still got to be in the big picture of the artist's careers. It wasn't that you were, you know, you were part of it, but, you know, if you had the right relationship with them, you could do more. And I enjoy that relationship with some of my artists to where they play me songs before they record them or show me artwork and things like that. So you get to be involved a little bit in that creative process, but we're just kind of a nuts and bolts booking, you know, anything live events. Sure. Well, that that was going to be my next question, and you kind of answered that. And in my very limited experience, I I got into music as an artist and did the touring thing for about three years. For the first year, we were just booking ourselves. So I know what it is to be making 50, 100 phone calls a day and hearing no no for 49 or, you know, 99 of those. (laughs) If if you get a call back. If you get a call back. If you get a call back. So what is it about that that drives you to want to keep doing that every day? You know... I, I like to build things, and in that building career, I like a challenge. You kind of got to like a challenge. I don't know. It's a skill set that you just, I, for some reason, God gave me that gift to be able to do. You know, I can't produce like you. I sure can't write. And, you know, I've always been able to sell a little bit, but when you're passionate about something, 
and people can hear it in your voice, it just makes it a lot easier. And so I love doing this. When I was able to combine my love of music and my love of God and do that for a living and actually go and sell that, you know, live music especially I love, I was able to do that. And we did it by, you know, it was a boutique, so we couldn't compete with William Morris or CA or these other agencies. So we found bands like Cademan's Call or Bebo Norman or Waterdeep bands you might not even remember that can actually go out, play colleges, sell tickets, build careers without having radio, without having, you know, this big push behind them. And it just grew and grew and grew. And, it, and a certain artist was attracted to us, and we were attracted to a certain artist. I know I'm rambling right now, but what makes me want to do it, I really don't know. I think when you start having success at any one thing, you yeah. start enjoying it more. And, so and I did. You talked about going out and building an artist career without radio. Mm-hmm. And that's been, a, that's been a big thing that I've been really interested in because what I know of the industry is from the production and the songwriting part of it where we right. deliver a project to a label they send it to radio that gives an artist a reason to go to her because they have a song that's on the charts or something but you're kind of saying that with an artist maybe like uh lecrae mm-hmm. who you've helped launch his career he i don't know that he would ever say he's had christian radio on no. a massive scale he's not so how how do you do that you know how do you do it the other way well, it's it's a partnership with the artist, and it just depends on the artist. I mean, using Lecrae as an example, he didn't suck, for one. Can I say that? You are totally uh, okay he, to say that. He actually <laughs> took a genre that I was trying to get into a very, very long time, which is hip-hop, which is the most popular genre in the world, into Christian music, which we were just pounding it in every church's door and every buyer's door, he actually started just making great music. And it started resonating with people who liked hip-hop. He also had a great team. His partner was amazing, Ben. Social media was amazing. So when we started working with him, it was already starting to bubble under. So a lot of it is the influence that we have, right? And the people that we can introduce them to, the different buyers from AEG and Live Nation to bigger church events, to the right church events, to the right things, you know, to some of the gatekeepers, you know, and we can open up those doors and it just steamrolls, you know, and being on the right tours, making the right choices. We've always believed that, you know, you don't make decisions based on money. You make it on what fits the brand and what fits the artist the best and that the money always takes care of itself. And in Lecrae's case, it did. He made all the right decisions. He toured in the right places with the right people. He's a brilliant guy. He really is. That's true. So in the beginning, you talked about Bebo, Norman, and Cayman's call, where with Lecrae, you're able to kind of maybe you know open some of those doors now that you have this status in the industry and this status and these relationships and this trust established as a company. How did you do that in the beginning when you didn't have that with an artist who was not getting That's radio true. play? Well, so that was more of a grind, obviously. But we tried to find a niche, you know, trying not to compete, trying to compete by not competing, right? So we found a home in the college marketplace. We tried to find artists that college kids uh, were attracted to, you know, that first time they get out and they start thinking on their own, trying to find things that might be a little more heady, a little bit more college-driven. Cademan's call at the time was just killing it in that space. And so... We were working with them, and it was a lot of cold calls to a lot of different colleges. We'd put them in clubs. We would call up, like, you know, FCAs. And, I mean, it was a lot of work. Like, we want to be at 
X school. And so we'd go through the college ministry and we'd get the venue on campus and they'd promote it. And then the colleges would freak out. Like, how did this band sell 2,000 tickets on this campus and we've never heard of them? And that just steamrolls. And this is before, you know, Facebook and all this kind of thing. Maybe MySpace was around. But it was before all that stuff. So it was email lists, merchandising, you know, people trading records at the time, you know, or are ripping off records in, in computers. So it was that kind of time. So we dug in, and then when you start having success in any one space, then everybody else, so other like-minded bands wanted to be part of what we were doing. And we kind of became the cool kids a little bit, which was fun, and that's how we attracted. And I could go down through the list. I wish we could have a, a reunion, but, you know, from Bebo and Waterdeep I loved, and Andrew Peterson, who's still out killing it right now, doing his stuff. Yeah, his stuff's amazing. Yeah, so those guys were all part of that original late 90s, mid uh, 2000s class that my wife and I helped. And they helped us, you know. So if I'm an artist who is, because I have this conversation probably once every week with an artist that comes in the studio to write for their record, it's everybody's writing out of a spirit of kind of fear of like, well, we just, we need to hit radio. We just have to have this specific small boxed in target. What is your advice to an artist who maybe tries it, doesn't quite hit, doesn't connect at radio? What are they then supposed to do in terms of turning around and going and building something on the road, which is you know, ultimately where you have to do it? Are you able to book shows without radio? success and chart success we are and you know if you look through our roster right now we do a lot of hip-hop we just signed this really cool band uh, out of florida social club they've had no radio there's just a lot of neat things the worship space those worship bands that we work with you know from carrie to you know ren collective hasn't had any radio you have to be really good at what you do and you have to know who you are and we have to understand who you are as well. So we like to make sure we see them live. You know, we get the music, we get the ministry, but you just really need to know who you are and put a plan together with your team, be it your manager or your booking agent. And if you don't have radio, you just need to be put in front of the right people. And there is still a world out there of word of mouth. Obviously, social media helps. That people, I mean, you look at, I'll use Ren Collective as an example. We have, I don't think we've ever had more than a top 10 and one, and they're out selling over 1,500 tickets a night nationwide. Andy Minio, the same thing, just finished 52 shows this year. He's never had any radio. We did about 1,000 pay tonight, and that's finding that fan, really being good at what you do. doesn't mean you're not writing great stuff. It means it's not radio, right? Sure, sure. So people, it's still driven by the music, yeah, and then maybe the lifestyle and the brand of who you are, but the music still has to be great. It just might not be radio. So how much you talked about social media a little bit? When you're going in to book a tour, does social media play any strategic role in how what you guys do as a booking agent now, or is that kind of artist does that we stay out of that? No, it's very much become a part of it. It used to be, you know, where are you? I mean, it's changed so much, but you know, on a bigger level, it's like let's get a breakdown of where your sound scans are and where you're selling the most. Where are you being played at radio more? And then we would route tours and kind of go around that. But right now, Spotify, streams, Facebook, Instagram, all those things are major. When we lay out a tour or we try and be strategic about growing a certain area, we without question, right at the top of the list is where they're most popular social media. And there you can find all that information out and 
and you can break it down in regions and in states. It's pretty cool. Sure. So if you could kind of quantify this in one sentence or paragraph, what is a dream artist? If, if somebody's to come to you as an artist and say, hey, will you give me a booking deal? What are you going to look for in me as an artist that's going to add the most value to what you're doing? Work ethic. I mean, it's probably that way in anything. I want you to work harder than I'm going to work, but at least as hard as I'm going to work for you. I'm not a big fan of make-me-a-star type artists. Um, we just signed this band that Brad probably would have told you about, The New Respects. I love them. Oh, my goodness. Now, I've only heard a couple songs, and, it's, and I get mad at Brad because he, he thinks I think he's holding out on me, and I know he's not. But... You know, we have them out with Switchfoot and Lecrae right now, and then and then Crowder wants to take them in the fall. This has just simply happened because these guys, that's the perfect band, the one I'm most excited about right now. They, they're rehearsing all the time. They're writing all the time. They're completely taking it serious. They work day jobs so they can work their, what they consider their real jobs, right? Yeah, she makes phenomenal coffee. Right, that's what I heard. <laughs> I haven't had her coffee. So, you know... That's, uh, to answer that question, just work ethic. Somebody that wants to really, really work. But, you know, you don't want your artists to be too business savvy. You want them to allow them to be. That's what we're there for. But you still want them to play along. You want to be able to sit down with them and go, you know, let's dream big. You know, who are you? What are you? And, and then they stick to that. And when you put a plan together, they stick to that plan unless it absolutely is necessary and they're not waffling back and forth. I want to do this one minute and want to do that the other. But when you take a band like The New Respects, I want them to cross over. I want them to, and I will do everything in my power. We're building a team around them that's all-encompassing with the power that WME has, not just in the Christian music. Now, they have to deliver the music. I can only do so much. But we will find them the opportunity. And I know, like the opportunity that we have them out with Lecrae and Switchfoot right now because that came through us. That came from the agents going to see them play at a club, being blown away, calling the manager, calling the band, sending some music, sending some video, and them going, we love this too. Are you sure? Yes. Now they're out on the tour, and now John Foreman's sending us video going, oh my goodness, this band is going to be massive. And they did that in the garage, you know, as they were writing and rehearsing, right? When they showed up, they had a show. It wasn't their first you know, deal. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. So it's work ethic, work ethic, work, et- work ethic. You hit on a, a really big buzzword because we talk about that a lot is the whole word crossover. Okay. Artist starts out in one genre, like Christian music particularly, because that's what we kind of work in a lot. And then I guess what I'm asking is, can you make that happen? Or does it just have to kind of be a strategic thing? Switchfoot is obviously a great example of that. How much of that have you guys had a hand in, or has it just been sort of their music that does it for themselves? Well, there are some opportunities that we can't get these bands because of their music, or because they're on Word, or, you know, I mean, that's, there's some reality to that. Um, the hip-hop space has been a new thing for me as far as the crossover side. The Switchfoot, the Thousand Foot Crutch, the Red, you know, those things that we've done throughout the years, those are a little bit easier, because rock bands, it's a little easier to be you know, like 21 Pilots, where, you know, you're just not being vulgar. Hip-hop's a little bit different, right? And so it's been difficult. Like, we're really hardcore into it with Andy right now, trying to change some of his social stuff, trying to change some one sheets. He's writing music. I think his music's general market anyway, but he doesn't swear and do things that other hip-hop guys do. So can we, like, getting Andy out, we got Andy out with Logic. 
uh, and he killed it. And the funny thing was the, the Twitters and whatever it is those kids do these days, yeah. they were like, these are my two favorite hip-hop acts. And these are Christian kids, you know? So it's there, and we can put them in front of those people, but to actually really go to the next level, they have to start making the music, partner with a mainstream label that's going to spend some money. I mean, you can, there's that anomaly, right, that we can start putting out. But going back to crossover, like with the new respects, I know because of what we do as an agency, we're going to get them looks out with mainstream acts, right? But that's only going to take them so far. It might continue to create this buzz, but at some point, the label has to partner with their LA office, and they have to have the right song, and they have to spend X amount of dollars to kind of take it to that next level. doesn't mean they can't grow in the general market. And I remember back in the day, I'm sorry to ramble, but I remember back in the day when Switchfoot decided we are going to just do clubs from now on, right? They'd still do a few festivals every once in a while. But in that, like Lecrae's about to do now that he's on Columbia, right? He has a mainstream manager, mainstream record label. He's going to make a mainstream record. And he's going to make some sacrifices financially to go and do what he feels called to do. But that doesn't mean he's giving up on the church. It doesn't mean he doesn't like the church. It just means this is his moment. This is his time. Switchfoot did the same thing. They decided to just do new clubs. They started making less money, playing in you know some dive bars and things, but people paid attention. They earned that. They had the other artists and could look at it. As an agent, then I can call and I can say, hey, I'm looking to have this band open up for you and whatever. You know, Specifically, like I was trying to get Andy Minio on uh, One Fest in Atlanta. Well, we just sold out the club, you know, 1,200 seats last in March. Really? Yeah. Well, what label's he on again? Well, it's Reach. It's an independent label. You know, you kind of got to dance around that a little bit. But yeah, we sold it out. Well, did he work with so-and-so? Yeah, he worked with so-and-so. They're like, wow. You know, those are the kind of things. But we're earning it, right? Not we. The artists are. They're out selling the tickets. Those are church kids. I get it. But we're doing the business. And that business will turn their heads, right? But at some point, the music has to be there. And that's on a national level. These acts are that they're wanting to be with. Go ahead. Sorry. Sure. No, no, no. That's that's great. It's answering a lot of questions in one, but... <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> awesome. Like, that's why I like this. We're I'm, an, I'm an agent. I talk. Well, that's, that's that, that you answered your earlier question just now. <laughs> you like to talk. I like to talk. That's awesome. So... I, I often think about this too with 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 a band like Switchfoot or or Lecrae is is he's on Columbia now. Do you ever get any resistance from you know once a band like Switchfoot or Lecrae crosses over, and then if they want to come back and play the church or play the Christian festival, is there any resistance there? Is there any pushback to say well they're not you know they're not doing the Christian thing anymore? Or is it not so much that? Not so much because you know a lot of those festival buyers. Not that it doesn't happen, because it does. And sadly, I think some of those people are a little short-sighted. I can tell you that we wouldn't be working with them if they didn't. I wouldn't be asking for them to be there if they did, if the bands didn't want to be there. I'm not forcing them to do anything. And not that I'm like this great, you know, litmus test, if that's even the right word. But, you know, we get some pushback. But most of them is like, if you're doing something outside of the Christian space, sometimes it's a little more alluring and attractive where they do want you, you know, those guys started doing festivals and events for outreach as well, or to sell tickets or whatever. And so if you have a band that's doing well outside of that space, they usually like to bring it back. But there's some short-sighted-minded people. Gotcha. Well, that's really awesome. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about kind of the changes, because you're coming up on your 20th year this fall. Obviously, it's a different industry than it was last year. 
but I'm sure 20 years ago it was entirely different. What are some of those changes, and are you optimistic about the way that music's heading? Well, and we, I don't want to keep talking about the same thing, but yeah, I'm really optimistic. I, I really believe, thanks to you and others, the music that we're making is really competitive. The songs that we're writing, the songs that we're producing, it's all over the place stylistically, which is great. You know, we're not putting out the same thing. Some of the stuff sounds alike. Some of the stuff on radio sounds alike. But there's things happening outside of that, so that's exciting. The idea of folks crossing over that truly love Jesus that I'm excited about. Um, you know, I really feel, I mean, there's uh, some differences are this. One, people aren't selling records like they used to. So we have to find other reasons like social media and others to use to sell them, to gauge the success, to get the money that we need, to sell the tickets that we need. So that's changed. That's just part of it. The other thing that's changed is we, you know, the tra- traditional selling to the churches that we always had done over the last 20 years, about five years ago specifically, got very difficult. Every church has an unbelievable ministry, a music ministry, either through worship or they have bands, they have a youth group that has a better band than my band. Do you know what I mean? There's writers, there's performers, there's three worship teams with better guitar players than the ones that are on in my band. So they used to love to bring our bands in for their congregations or their youth group or to lead worship for a conference. And now it's tough to get those because they have their own teams, right? So if they're doing, you know, if a big church is doing a big camp, they have their own worship team or their youth worship team. And so that's become one of the differences that's, you know, it's taken a lot of people to sell shows to away. Yeah, so what's replaced that or has anything kind of? Well, I tell you what, the neat thing that's replaced it is a lot of my bands are playing clubs. And, and kids are loving going to them. And they're loving to see Andy and Rend and Crowder and in non-church settings, right? That doesn't take away from Jeremy Camp or Mercy Me that do great in those church settings. But they're bigger acts. It's just a venue at that point, right? right. But as far as bringing, you know, as I was just saying, you know, about the church actually bringing you in. So we've been able to build relationships with some of the major promoters and some of the venues all across the world where we're doing real business, where they want to have us back. So that's, we've replaced a lot of it with that. And some of it, it's just harder to grow the younger bands. So we have to be very specific about what we sign. We can't sign as many bands as we used to because we have to really dig in on the ones that we have. Sure. So you're, you're scaling back, doing more of the mainstream club thing. So if, if, if I'm a new, to go back to the question, just to make it very actionable and digestible for our, our listeners, we always say no listener left behind. <laughs> I like it. If, if I'm a new artist that's just moved to Nashville, I'm, I'm, I'm coming into your office, what, 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 are you, what are some of the things that you're going to look for? Because, I mean, work ethic, yeah, that's, that's huge, but does an artist need to have like an EPK? Do they need to have a record done before they even come to you or come to a manager or a booking agent? It's funny, I just answered uh, some of these questions in a, in a panel that we had just done, but I, I don't want to be that guy and I don't want to be that agency that says you have to have a record deal and a manager for me to sign you. I want to be driven by uh, who you are, what the music is. I go back to work ethic. If you walk into my office, I really would love to see what you've done. That can be, have you built a city where you do really well, a region where you do really well? You know, do you own your own van and have your own merchandise and how do you set that up? I look at all those things. I look at your socials. What have you done on your own before me? That can be even just, this is the best thing I've heard ever and you have nothing going on and I'm going to help you, you know, meet Seth Mosley and I'm going to help you meet 
Jeff Mosley and all the Mosleys in town. <laughs> there's, <And laughs> there's a couple of them. There's a couple of Mosleys. Now I'm going to take you on the Mosley circuit and I'm going to get you a deal. Did you ever work with Lacey? <laughs> <laughs> there's t- too many of you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll do that. And so really what we do is we, we have a sphere of influence. Every genre has it. And I would like to believe that that's what we add. You know, we can kind of add little fuel to whatever fire you've already started. It's very rare we take something from the very, very, very beginning, right? Usually there's something going on. Sometimes it is that they have a record deal and you get really excited about the music, but they don't really have anything going on a touring side. I will say that the company that we kind of pattern growing it after is we're mostly a touring-based company. I mean, we don't have a lot of artists that just our big pop artists that only do a few dates. We like to, the grind. We like to build the tickets, you know, to where we like to control our own. We like to teach our artists to control their own destiny. When you put a record out, you can go out and tour in the spring and the fall, and you don't need to do anything else if you don't want to because you've covered them, you've made the money that you need. We're not begging from anybody. We're just out making a living and doing it. We've earned those fans. The fans will pay dollars to come see us, buy our CDs, things like that. So in a core, that's what we try and always do. It doesn't always work. And I know I'm not answering your question, but when you walk into my office, I'd like to see what you've done. Yeah, that's, you know, a, gets, that's a great it, answer. It gets, gets back to work ethic, like, how far have you taken this? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great answer. So, because it, it really is, a, it's about an exchange of value because you're, you know, opening up massive, like you said, you're opening up gatekeepers and opening up doors that they wouldn't be able to otherwise. So you kind of have to prove that you can stand on that stage. Right. What, if, if we could leave our listeners with one thing today, because I, I like to hear about the successes and and the things that you're doing right, but what are some of the things that you've kind of, if you even care to share, we always like, we like the horror stories too. You know, what are some of the things that, looking back over your 20 years here, I'm sure there's some things that you'd do differently this time around if it was to, you know, if you're thinking of zero-based thinking, knowing what I know now. Yeah, there's probably too many. (laughs) I've definitely made some mistakes in my life, especially on the business side. I, um... I could say that I've tried to do the best I can, and I try and hold relationships dear, and I've probably made some mistakes. I think if one takeaway for me and what I teach my guys is, you know, don't make lists. You know, they'll always come back around. What do you mean by that? No, it's try and work with everybody. You get upset at people or someone kind of screws you or whatever, and it's like, for whatever reason, those things happen. You know, you can work with people. I don't know. I've just tried to always teach them to make less. I've done some of that in the past. I've under-communicated in ways where I've either lost clients and I didn't build strong enough relationships with them. I've, I've learned over the years that the best relationship you can have when you're working with somebody is to know the artist really well. Sometimes you get caught and you know the manager best or you know, you know, you just need to stay really close to the artist. You know, in all sorts of reasons. One, just straight for business, so you have a relationship with them. And two, you know them better. That way, when things get tough, you can have honest conversations with them. And I think that kind of moving forward at my age and doing this 20 years now, that's my biggest takeaway and what I'm trying to teach my guys is the honesty that you share with these artists, because things can get really hard, right? They want to do things or you want to do things for them and you're not able to deliver and it's not always your fault. You know, sometimes the artists need to change things or adjust or tweak and go a certain way. And if you don't have the relationship with the artist in a close, intimate way, 
where they trust you and believe you and the job that you've done for them, where you can sit down and go, here's what this person said and here's why they said it. So if you really want to do this, we're going to have to do this or not do it. You know, those kind of conversations. Because artists can be difficult to communicate with, you know, those kind of hard subjects. You know, a lot of people pander to them and make them feel fluffy and warm and and keep everything moving along. But sometimes they have desires, they want to do things. And I don't know if that's answering your question, but probably communication and building relationships. Yeah. Well, that's that's great. Don't don't build lists, over communicate and focus on relationships. Right. I think those are three things that Yeah. I I, I wish I was taking notes right No, now, so. stop. I'll <laughs> write awesome. them to you. <laughs> send me a text with those later. I'll send them to you. My guys will remember. They'll they'll see this and go, "Yep, he always says that." Those stop. are your, those are your three things. Well, no, just stop. My our, our mantra is work harder than anybody and always tell the truth. Work harder than anybody and always tell the truth. Yep. That's how you build a roster. That's how you build a business. Well, that's how we built our business. That's how my wife and I built the business. But I always tell them not to keep lists because it's hard. You know, yeah. you get mad at people and yeah. you don't want to work with them again. You can't do that. That's awesome. Well, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for what you do. And thank you for taking your time. I know you're a busy, busy man. Thanks for stopping by the Full Circle Music Show today. Enjoyed it. You guys be good. This is Seth Mosley. You've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Mike Snyder today of William Morris Entertainment. Learned a ton. If you haven't already, go check out our YouTube. We're starting to put these interviews in video format. So our YouTube, you can find us. Just search The Full Circle Academy on YouTube, and you'll be able to see little excerpts from our shows on there here in the upcoming weeks. And once again, just a quick reminder on Music Makers Boot Camp, August 26th through 28th, that's in Franklin, Tennessee, fullcirclegoeslive.com. Be there, and we'll see you next week.